I look at raw land as being something that God created that can never be destroyed, but buildings can be, and they can be well overpriced and well overpaid. Raw land is a future play. We'll see a significant rise in as the cost of building goes down. Welcome to Surgeon Syndicate. If you're paying attention, you know that you only make money when you work. It might be great money, but it's dependent on you. The information on this podcast will help you solve that. We interview experts and provide analysis into financial freedom through commercial real estate. Why? To help physicians like you thrive. Let's dive in. Welcome back to Surgeon Syndicate. We are back today with the second half of our discussion with Eric Rice, who is the Chief Growth Officer for King Operating Corporation. Eric, welcome back. Thank you so much, Mike. Glad to be back. So the first half of our discussion was really a big picture economic view. I think for some people, they may not have heard this or they feel it's kind of an extreme left field. It's interesting because part of your board, your chief economist at uh, King is somebody I've read for years, John Malden. And I remember him saying that something like he was the most positive guy in a room of people with a lot of concern. So in this environment where I guess a quick recap, and maybe I should let you give it with where we've been with our monetary policy and where we're at now, that the value of a lot of things may change significantly over the next years or possibly even months. What time frame do you see as we head into 2024 or what events would be most concerning to you as seeing a tip or a change? Well, I will recap on our last conversation because you stated that most people who talk to their financial advisor or banker have never heard this before, or macroeconomists may have never told them this before. I'm neither one of those. I'm not financially incentivized to convince you that what I profit from is the only path to go. Uh, I do this completely on my own free time. I make no money giving my economic opinion. I make my money in oil and gas, and I'm in oil and gas from quantum biology. I chose to be in this sector because I saw what was going to happen within the next three to five years. So let me preface that by saying most people who give financial advice have a financial incentive to advise you on things that they are incentivized on. I do not. I speak the truth, which sounds like doom and gloom to those who choose to live in the optimistic bubble. I am an eternal optimist. I think that everything that's happening economically right now must happen to create change because the trend that we're on right now, think back, where were taxes when you were 20? They're about 15% up. That's less money. That's more of a, I'm an Ian Randist, right? Ian Rand believed in property rights for human rights. If you pay 40% in taxes, you're 40% slave. We sparked a revolution in this country because the English were taxing us 3%. Now we pay 40% and don't care because we play fantasy football and pay attention to the bread and circus. Does this make sense? So I try to use my free time. I'm very much a believer and I try to spread the truth and expose evil. That's what I try to do. That's what I do with my own time. So the question that you asked was, what do I see happening in 2024? Again, I'll preface this by saying I don't have a crystal ball or a direct line to God, but I can tell you what I am seeing from a geopolitical standpoint and as well as triggering mechanisms. So we talked about commercial real estate triggering bank collapses. I think the biggest economic indicator that the only person I've seen talking about this with any gumption at all in Washington, D.C. is Matt Gates, is the removal of the U.S. dollar from global reserve currency status. Many see that as a bad thing because Rome used to have the global reserve currency status, and so do we. 
Well, what a global reserve currency has done is it's created tyranny all across the world, centralized into one nation. So I think we're going from a unipolar world where U.S. dominates the world into a multipolar world where regions dominate. The BRICS coalition overseas is not trying to create a competitor to the U.S. dollar, which many people think. What they're trying to do is back their own currencies regionally with some practices like gold or palladium or silver backed currency or potentially digitally backed currency so that they have sovereignty away from tyrants, which is what we've become globally. If you look at it from another country's perspective, from our perspective, it's been great. So if I look at what's happening, I think BRICS is something you certainly need to pay attention to. Like I said in our last episode, you know, Iraq was revolting because they weren't allowed to take the U.S. dollar out of the bank. That's going to happen in many other countries pretty soon because they have to do it. If they get the dollars out of the bank, those people will sell it for their regional currencies and deplete the U.S. dollar. Not a good thing to have happen during a presidential election. So if we look at what's going to happen in 2024, I think we're going to see inflation continue to rise. There's nothing they can do to stop it at this point. I think we're going to see rates continue to rise because inflation continues to rise. And I think that we're eventually going to see a 25 to 35 percent loss in buying power of the U.S. dollar. And by 2026, I completely see no further global reserve currency. Throughout all of history, starting in France and moving into England, global reserve currencies end up in impoverishing the nation that once held the power. So right now, the currency, we say it's backed by the goodwill of the U.S. government, but really it's supply and demand, isn't it? That because it's the reserve currency, the rest of the world needs dollars, and that's why we get away with printing as many as we want so far. That's the theoretical look at it, but let's look at the practical and the reality of it right now. Right now, we've already seen France sell billions of dollars of natural gas to China in Yuan. We're starting to see Russia and China trade in yuan and ruble. We're starting to see India. You want a prediction? Here's a prediction. By 2025, India will be the third largest economy in the world because they've stockpiled gold and silver for so long. But if we look at the trend of the U.S. dollar, what is the dollar? Like you said, it's vapor. It's backed by the full faith and confidence in the U.S. government. Do you have confidence in the U.S. government? You're an American. Do you think other countries who aren't American have confidence in that? We are losing our own power due to our own stupidity and poor monetary policy, along with international sanctions that make no sense to anyone but the powers that be in Washington, D.C. So if we continue along this trend of believing what has worked for the last 50 years will work for the next 50, we're going to find ourselves in a very bad predicament. We are in an ever-changing world that the bad guys call the fourth industrial revolution or the Great Reset. I call it the Great Awakening because more people today know more about what's happening monetarily than ever before, and they don't like what they see. Debt is a cover-up for poor fiat currency performance. Debt was instigated in the 70s. If you remember back to 1993, Burger King became the first fast food restaurant to actually use credit cards, and everyone is confused. This will never work. Why do you need a credit card? Well, guess what they're doing now? They're accepting Bitcoin for a hamburger. So we have to look at trends and how they're changing. If you want to remain in the old way of thinking that this government will always remain in power as the global dominance and our dollar will always be, because it's never happened before. We've had multiple global reserve currencies that ended up very poorly and we're right at the final stages. So if you continue to think that way, you're going to end up being blockbuster. Or if you change the way you think, you'll end up being Netflix. I mean, it's just that kind of, we're at that point in historical prevalence with obvious facts. I don't make up anything. These are obvious facts that we're seeing. And we all need to change the way that we think. We're so comfortable that we've made our wealth. We've accumulated our wealth through this system, which is collapsing in front of us. So if we continue to do things the system tells us to do, we'll collapse right along with them. 
So a lot of these things have kind of been going on for a while. And that we started out over a decade ago with increasing how much money was printed by a significant amount. And we expected inflation after the dot-com bust and then after the real estate bust. And we just kept printing money. And then we got to COVID and ramped it up even more. But we haven't seen this disaster, this huge turn yet. And so it kind of numbs people to like, well, it must be okay. Um, So you talked about before that at some point, the assets that are all based on this structure are going to have a big shift in what they're worth. And you gave your five classes, just asset classes that you think will hold value through potential chaos. What were those again? Gold, silver, raw land, oil and gas, and Bitcoin. So why raw land versus buildings? Very simple. The cost of building right now is overinflated. Eventually, and I advise everyone to start with the French Revolution and move forward and study fiat systems and read a book called The Fourth Turning. They explain historically how fiat systems ultimately end in exactly what we're living in today. But I would take raw land with water and electrical already set up and wait for all of these pending things. And you're right, you know, they haven't happened. But interest rates have been at zero for 10 years. Our economy got used to 0% interest rates for 10 years. That's historically an anomaly. So you've already been fattened up and it's just time for them to take you down and eat you. That's pretty much where we're at. And I don't really care what anyone thinks about that statement. It's historically true. So if you look at raw land with electrical and water already set up, what I do, I'm buying raw land right now and I'll sit on it for two and a half years until the cost of lumber comes down 50, 60, 70% and the value of my commodities rises so I can go get more fiat currency and pay one-tenth of what you pay today to build at a time where hopefully I got a chance to interview Steve Forbes. He's among the growing number of people who believe that with Trump's next term, which if we don't have it, I don't care how you vote, the people in office right now are destroying this country. But if we do something like that, in order for us to gain global dominance again, we have to go to a sound money system. Otherwise, this nation will fail. So that means gold-backed currency. So if I sit back in a fiat model, own raw land, shift into a gold-backed or some sort of commodities-backed currency with sound money, which eliminates inflation, then I can build at one-tenth of the price today when people can actually afford to rent from me. That's why I look at raw land as being something that God created that can never be destroyed, but buildings can be. And they can be well overpriced and well overpaid. So for me, raw land is a future play that I think we'll see a significant rise in as the cost of building goes down through. And it's not me. Fox News came out and said 2024 has depressionary trends. It's not just me. People who are smart are seeing this stuff. That's interesting. So the book, The Fourth Turning by Neil Howe, and then The Storm Before the Calm by George Friedman. I was just looking at my autumnal list there. You know, they're interesting books because some people really don't like the idea of cycles and they're like, oh, you can't predict the future from the past. But both of them are really good at looking at cycles that have gone on through civilization for a very long time. And yeah, they're not exact. It's not an exact timeline that says it'll happen this year, next year, or five years from now. It's bigger timelines but you see similar things happening throughout time when economies shift and change. And it's interesting that in one of those books they talked about now, 
we've been in an expert economy or an expert world since World War II. We kind of won World War II with better management of our systems and our industries. And we've just kept piling on to that framework for a long time. And now we're kind of at the other side of it where you get so many experts in a little niche that they don't see the big picture anymore. And, you know, I think as doctors, we see this, that there's somebody who's a computer expert who changes my EHR and moves all my workflows around. And it's like a brain busting event because now I'm trying to get through clinic quickly and I have to actually think about what I'm doing and my hand wants to go where it used to go, but that doesn't work anymore. And this happens throughout the economy where you have these experts changing things. Is that part of the monetary policy that we've just gotten into such a paradigm that's going straight ahead that we can't see beyond it? Think of it this way, right? Like how many people out there read articles anymore, right? There's so much information, you just read the headline, but the headline's oftentimes misleading to the actual point of the article. And I think our society has so much information that you learn to filter things out, not to bring things in. And as you talked about an expert economy being comfortable in their niche, well, that's exactly what you're watching. So it's difficult for somebody who's been a macroeconomist for 30 years to think that the world might be changing because they thought it would change 29 years ago. But the indicators weren't there. The real world indicators weren't there as philosophical. Now, I, as a quasi-economist, try to look at all sides of every story. I look at all sides. And I try to determine through factual events what I believe is happening so I can accurately predict what I should be doing with my family and our money. The fact of the matter is in 2008, what I'm talking about should have happened in 2012, but we dropped to 0% interest rates. We stimulated the economy with printing and it hasn't stopped. We've printed 68% of the dollars in circulation have been printed since 2020. That does not end up well historically anywhere at any time. Imagine if you sold Beanie Babies, right? Remember the big Beanie Baby rush? Yeah. You know how Beanie Baby made their product worth more? Exclusivity, scarcity. They only made like 20 Beanie Babies. Imagine if they flooded the market with 200 million of them, they'd be worth a penny. So dollars are no different. We've diluted the power of the dollar. It's no longer scarce, it's abundant. And when it's abundant, everything else that used to be scarce now becomes valuable. So looking at things for what's actually happening, not what you think is happening. I try to remove my theories from behind these things because I have plenty. But when I look from a factual standpoint, the, the era of expertise is an era of, we have so much information that people aren't thinking for themselves. They're not thinking critically. They're not researching for themselves. They're just saying, oh, I don't know what's happened in the economy. Let me go to this website because I trust this guy. Why do you trust that guy? We're going from an era of groupthink into an era of critical thinking, which is true freedom. And it's very painful and very difficult. So everyone needs to look at things for themselves and not take one opinion. You're a doctor, right? Everyone goes to you for a first, second, or third opinion. Do the same thing with your information and think critically through it. And you'll probably come to the same determination I have. Yeah. If you don't just seek out people with the same opinion, seek out people with different opinions and see where that information pushes on each other. I was just looking for another book title that's, uh, it was more based on chaos theory that basically says when a system doesn't have resets, it builds up more pressure and then the resets can be bigger. And that's possibly where we're at now. And I've even seen where I've heard real estate investors say, well, when interest rates come back down next year, when we were at six and a half percent and being a child of the 70s, that 
six and a half percent. I think my first mortgage, even in the 90s, was at eight percent. And I refied at seven and thought that was amazing. And so <laughs> I mean, it's almost free at 3%. And that's where it distorts what people do when you can just have free money. You bring up a great point outside of the free money, which is like we've been fattened up with 0% interest. I have a 2.25 mortgage on my home. I'm never moving. I'm never paying that off. Like I can't find anything cheaper. So, and if I did move right now, I'd have to buy the same home for more money at a higher rate. That's the real estate market. Probably my favorite conversation to have in the entire world is with green energy activists. It's by far the greatest example of confirmation bias in the world. So you have Al Gore, who scares the crap out of you that there's not going to be any seagulls. And they told us in the 70s that there wouldn't be any oil by now. There's more oil now than ever before. They told us in the 80s that all of our beaches would be gone because an iceberg would melt. Not paying attention to the scientific proof of displacement of matter. So I told my son, who was worried about this when we lived in California. So I took a glass of ice and I filled it up with water and we waited there until all the ice melted. And it was so weird because nothing overflowed. Matter is matter. So when I talk to green energy people, they read all the scary stuff that leads them right into the stuff about how beautiful a world it would be if we could have windmills and sun farms. And the fact of the matter is when I talk to them, I'm like, listen, I love green energy. We need more green energy. But you have confirmation bias. You haven't looked at the other side of the table. The other side of the table says right now we've invested $20 trillion, half from governments, half from private sector over 20 years, and we've reduced the dependency on fossil fuels by 1.75%. Those are the stats. So it's more energy. We need that. Let's look at the other stats to avoid confirmation bias. In order to run the cloud for these phones that we hold in our hand all day, it takes two times the national energy requirement of the third largest economy in the world known as Japan. Two times the amount of energy the entire nation of Japan is required just to operate the cloud. The cloud is not shrinking, it's growing. In order for us to travel, 98% of all travel and transportation is done with oil and gas. In order to make an EV, which everyone talks to me about, electric vehicles are going to put you guys out of business. Okay, well, you can't even have electric vehicles without oil and gas. In order to mine the lithium and cobalt, you need to move 250 tons of dirt to create one battery. That's done on diesel. Then you need 600 to 800 barrels of oil to make the battery, yet alone the car. Once the car is finally completed, you have to charge it with something and you have to plug it into a wall which is primarily a grid that's operating off of coal energy or natural gas. So we live in a time of great confirmation bias that I think you just exploited perfectly. That's interesting. When you're talking about the amount of electricity it takes to run the cloud, that's not to charge all our little phones and computers. That's just to run the infrastructure where everything is stored. Correct. Server function. Yeah. Server farms drain more energy out of the grid than almost anything else. And for the cloud runs on servers. Every time your clock changes a number, when it goes from 349 to 350, a wheel turns in a server bank somewhere and it pulls off the electric grid. That's incredible. So <laughs> we started this conversation. So what you do, and this is so the full disclosure about oil and gas, and in looking that as an investment opportunity, since we're getting close to the end here and we've had this great economic discussion, just explain a little bit about what King Operating does and how you've positioned buying mineral rights maybe a little different than it has been in the past. Well, sure. So the reason I'm here, again, I come from quantum biology, so I'm not a lifelong oil and gas guy. I saw the opportunity. I've been blessed to be able to see what's coming. 
because I pay attention to what's happening. And I see oil and gas having a gigantic run over the next three to five years for many different factors. But at King Operating, we do something differently. Your normal oil and gas deal that you'll find in the open market is what's called a one to three wellbore assignment. So you invest, you get 100% write-off against your AGI, that's passive and active income, just total AGI, state, federal, local. You get a big tax write-off for the investment, and then you either get monthly or quarterly income based on the sale of the hydrocarbons. And that's really where deals end. At King Operating, what our CEO, Jay Young, did in 2015 is he started including the most profitable part of that deal, which is the leases. So in our business, we find raw land that's very probable. We know that there's oil there, but it's probably difficult drilling. We're off the guaranteed strike. But what happens with us is we will get a lease for land. We'll drill some wells. We'll sell some oil. Somebody else in the market will see it, and they'll want to buy it from us at a multiple because we've done all the hard work to develop an economy of scale for them. So at King Operating, we offer three benefits that I find in my port. I got my first tax return in 17 years last year, simply due to the fact that I invested in our fund. So our investors actually get 100% tax write-off against all of their income for their investment. So that's about a 30% return cash on cash right off the bat. Then you get monthly income, which also has significant tax benefits based on the way that we've structured our fund. So that helps you offset inflation. So the investment right away puts more money in your pocket from Uncle Sam, allows you to have more cash flow. Then you can fight inflation by having monthly income from the sale of a commodity that's going up. It will dip in the next few months, but it will go up rapidly after that. And then you also are a part owner. So we're asset backed. So when we sell the leases for the work that we've done at a multiple, all of our investors reap the benefit of that. I don't know any other investment we work a lot with multifamily guys. It's very similar. You get a big tax write-off income, and then you benefit on the sale of the land. We are basically a switch from tenants and toilets to oil and gas. Same philosophy, same model, different sector. So you're saying with the tax benefits, that write-off can go against W-2 income? Yes, it can. With no that's, added a, work. that's a big difference for doctors, especially. Probably the biggest pitfall of being a doctor that you didn't realize when you were a kid and decided to go to medical school that you may get a big paycheck, but you're in one of the worst tax groups that exists because yeah. most of it is, it's hard to keep it out of a W-2 pot. So if somebody invested $100,000, they would get that back as a write-off against their W-2 the same year? Yeah. So W-2 is a great loophole. We're, as far as I know, we're the only W-2, 100% tax write-off in the market. And that's why you never hear about deals like ours because the government doesn't promote them. But at the same time, a $100,000 investment in our fund, it's a five-year write-off. But the way that we structure it is that year one, you get a big write-off. So last year, traditionally, we do 75% year one for the last 15 years. Last year, our investors got a 90% benefit. So if you made 300,000 last year, you invested 100,000 in the fund, you were only paying taxes on $210,000. It's an immediate drop of your AGI, immediate. So we have teams here that work with your accountants to explain the K-1 so you file it properly. You also don't have to be a real estate professional to get the write-off. You don't have to do anything. It's very passive. For W-2s, the limit is 550000 So you can put up to $550,000 in the fund as a W-2 and reduce your income in year one by about $500,000 and then $50,000 spaced over the next four years. Wow, that's incredible. So... I know a lot of people are listening to this and going, yeah, but oil and gas is risky. It's really perceived as being risky. Sure. What are the risks compared to other investments or just, just generally, what are the risks of investing in your fund? 
cost and price always. So people have a set standard in their head that oil and gas investing is risky. And it is. We're exploratory. So we are literally drilling 8,000 feet below the surface of the earth. And sometimes we're drilling 9,000 feet horizontally across. We are going where no man has gone before. The payoff is big. So first of all, I would explain that it is a risky investment. There's no way around it. It's exploration. You're given 30% of your money back right away through a tax benefit. That de-risks immediately. Then you're an 80% owner of the monthly income. So as we hit oil, we pay 80% of our income out to our investors until they've received their principal back. And then we go to 60-40. So we've de-risked a risky investment through fundamentals and structure. I'll give you an example from last year. So last year, we raised a lot of money. Our fund did 19% if you were an owner from January to December. But a bulk of our capital came in in August. And in September and October, we saw the price of drilling go up 35%. Now, in oil and gas, we don't have like a $50 widget. Our wells are $10 million, $6 million, $8 million. So a $10 million well, which we did all the geology and said at $10 million, this is very economical. But since oil and gas operators, we don't have rigs in the backyard. We rent them. Everything is partitioned. It's all a big project management to bring in outside vendors who are good for you because they have other liability insurance to help in case anything goes wrong. But when we started going from 10 to 13 and a half million dollars to drill a well, economics were turned on their head. At the exact same time, we saw the price of natural gas go from $9 in MCF down to two. So we had to pay 35% more to drill something that we received 20% of the current market value. So the risk in oil and gas with us is generally cost and price. With other operators who have a one, two, or three well bore assignment, the issue is a dry hole. If they're only raising, $10 million to drill two wells, you're looking at two cheap vertical wells or expensive vertical wells. And if one of them doesn't strike oil or a lot of oil, you're out of business. Well, we're a portfolio builder. So usually we get to about a third of completion on a well before we know if it'll be dry or not. So we can pull out and use the other two thirds to another location. So the biggest risks are cost and price. And if you're dealing with another operator, your biggest risk and the one you need to worry about is if they have a dry hole. One dry hole will kill their economics. With us, we've built in a drilling schedule for 30, 40, sometimes 55 wells over a five, six-year period. So if we have one dry hole and we catch it early enough, it's not as big of a deal. It still hurts. Uh, And we're getting better at communicating with our investors. We're building an alert system. Hey, we had to cap a well yesterday. That's going to hurt your monthly passive income. Hey, we just got 2,000 barrels in the last two days. We just sold them in the market. Expect a rise in your income. Communication is also a risk. When you're left in the dark as an investor and something that's risky, it makes it even more risky. So we try to over-communicate with quarterly business reviews, weekly well-report videos, all these types of things to keep you updated so you can learn about the industry as you go along as an investor. We truly sit on the same side of the table, but cost and price are always the biggest risks. So it sounds like what your model, what you've done is kind of the difference between if you're looking at real estate that you're going to take that with other operators in the way it's been traditionally, you would take all your money, say, well, I want to invest in real estate, and you're going to have to put it all up to go invest in one building. Where then if that building does great, great. If that building does poorly, but instead, it's the ability to invest in a fund that may have multiple buildings across multiple states. So if one doesn't do well, you still have the rest. Now, it still comes down to getting the building and running it right and pulling off your business plan. So 
from my experience, I've kind of been around this industry for a long time that I started at the Colorado School of Mines, actually, as a mining oh, nice. engineering student. Our and, analytics uh, guy is an MBA from there. Or, uh, is he really? They, Colorado they School actually, of Mines, baseball player. They, they actually have a good football team now. When I was yeah. there, we were like the worst ever. And now I think they were Division Three national champions or almost something last year. Wow. So really a big turnaround. But so how'd you uh, go from oil and gas to being a doctor? You know, the hard part was I started college in 1987. And in the late 80s, there was no mining oil in the US. I mean, mining, especially uh, your first job, you had to go to Africa or Asia. And Africa was a bigger mess than it is now. And for a kid from a small farm town, that was pretty scary. And all the oil was just in the Gulf. And so either your first job, you're going to go live on an oil rig in the Gulf or, in, you know, so it was a tough market to look at for your future. And I think what's happened is the guys who stuck it out now, because a lot of people left that there's only a few. And so the guys my age who are still in the industry have their pick of the litter of whatever they want to do. Didn't see the, the future on that one. <laughs> but well, they tricked you because they just discovered, and actually CNN published this in 2016, then Trump got in office and never published it again. What we've discovered since then is that between the Permian Basin in Texas and all of Alaska, there's enough oil and gas underneath the surface of the earth to power every car, plane, building, and machinery around the world for 620 years. Well, that That's was an S. So before I moved to Green Bay, I grew up in Colorado and lived in Wyoming for a while. And I saw an estimate that said in if you changed every house and every car in the United States to natural gas, there's enough natural gas in Western Wyoming to power our country for 200 or 300 years. Yeah, we're uh, in the Bighorn Basin in Wyoming. It's a great area for natural gas. Yeah, that seems to be everywhere there. So even as coal, they took a hit there on coal, but all those coal plants are now on natural gas. So. Oh, there's where I was going with that. So in the mining industry, it's really the team because it's the same thing. You're digging a very expensive hole trying to find something and you have the science, but really how it plays out and how you deal with the adversity and really the business plan comes down to the people. Uh -huh. And it looks like as I'm looking at your website, like you've got some great people to carry out this plan. These are not new to the business. No, we have a lot of gray hair. I'm one of the younger ones and come from a different industry, but I'm on the business side. From the operational side, we have about 150 years of operational and geological experience. And that does go a very long way with us. That's why we can recognize unsuccessful drilling opportunities early. It's also why we can look for new properties that other people are overlooking because we're looking at it from a different lens with more advanced technology. So having that team in place here, our CEO has been working in oil and gas since he was nine years old. So he's got 51 years of experience as he was helping his grandfather on rigs in West Texas. This is what they know. This is all they've done. We got Rex Gifford here who started out at the IRS dealing with oil and gas. And now he's been an oil and gas CFO for 30 years. We brought in a new guy here, just kind of a new fresh look so we can sell properties more easily. But we have well over 150 years of oil and gas experience from drilling holes, completing wells, and taxation. That's awesome. Well, I guess we're running close to our timeline here, but I want to thank you so much for being on the show. If somebody wanted to get in touch with you, 
to hear more about anything we discussed or with King Operating, what's a good way to reach out to you? Well, I'm pretty hard to find by choice. I'm okay. not a social media guy. I do have Twitter at EA underscore Rice, but I probably am on Twitter three days a week for about 10 minutes at a pop. You can reach me at erice at kingoperating.com is my email if you want to reach out to me. Or you can go to our website, kingoperating.com and fill in any information. Those are probably the two best ways to do it. All right. And you've got a great investor support team of other people too, to work with investors. And if anybody wants to reach out to me, I can put you in touch with several of them. So thank you again for being on the show. Appreciate your time. And I know you've got some other things to do this evening, so we'll let you yeah. go. So everybody else, thank you for being here. We look forward to having you back on the Surgeon Syndicate. This has been an episode of Surgeon Syndicate. If you found value in this episode, no other surgeons are hungry to become job optional. You can help them by sharing this content today. I also want to serve you better, so I want to offer you two things. Number one, I'll be able to give you the content in an even better way if you can take a moment and leave an honest review of the show explaining what you like and what you don't. And number two, if you are a surgeon and serious about this, you don't want to do this on your own because you don't want to make mistakes with your money. I'd be happy to help. Schedule a call. We can make a plan. Looking forward to having you with me on the next episode.